Well, good morning, friends, and welcome here. And uh, Jeff's got the weekend off, so it's my joy to get to hang out with you here this morning in this way. Um, hey, I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is a picture of my friend Lori. And I feel like Lori just perfectly exemplifies what it means to give Jesus away. She's always uh, texting people or sending them handwritten notes or uh, buying them gifts or running errands for people that she's looking to show the love of Jesus to. Uh, She was telling me a story just recently of a young mom that she's getting to know. And this young mom is deathly afraid of going to the dentist but had an upcoming uh, dental procedure. And so Lori was texting with her and just kind of whimsically texted, uh, hey, I, you know, I'd go to the dentist with you and hold your hand. Well, the problem with texting is you can't get the inflection. And so the mom uh, texted her back right away and said, wow, you would do that for me? Uh, yes, thank you. And so a couple days later on a rainy afternoon when Lori wished that she was at home curled up with a book, she instead found herself at the dentist's office literally holding this gal's hand during her dentist procedure. And uh, the payoff came the next day. Lori got a text from her again and she just said, wow, I couldn't believe that you would go so over and above to serve me in that kind of a way. Uh, A mutual friend of Lori and ours is a gal named Karen And Karen uh, had the thought in her mind that she wanted to help another woman in their church get a new roof on her house. And so she got with Lori, and the two of them got together and got some other people working on this project. And then as they were making the arrangements for that, uh, one time Karen was driving down the street in her neighborhood. She saw a roof on a house that was in worse shape than the one that they were about to repair. And so then that got the wheels in her head turning, and it got the wheels in her heart turning, which got the wheels on her car turning right into that person's driveway. And she had seen this family before on the block, but had not met them before until she went up on their porch, knocked on their door, and said, I'd like to buy you a new roof. And uh, they were dumbstruck. Uh, You know, they had been needing a new roof for years uh, and had no means for how they were going to get it. And so uh, Karen and Lori teamed up and got some other people with them. And within two weeks, this family had a new roof on their house. And within two weeks, this family was at Lori and Karen's church trying to figure out what is this love of another kind. Uh, Lori's husband's name is Jeff. And uh, the house next door to Lori and Jeff was up for rent. And uh, a single mom with three young girls rented the house. And the three girls were just magnetized to Lori. And after being neighbors uh, for about a year, Marissa, the mom, was telling Lori about how she had just gotten a new job. But the new job starts at 6 a.m. And so she was trying to figure out what were the logistics going to be for getting there. And so Lori said, well, hey, I'd be happy to have your daughters sleep over at my house. And then I can help them get ready in the morning and take them to school. And so now this has been going on uh, five days a week for the last five years. And when they get ready in the morning, there's five people sharing one bathroom. Uh, in fact, uh, here, here's a picture of Lori and Jeff with the three girls. Um, I want to show you a picture, too, of uh, one of the girls. This is Bianca reading a Bible that Lori gave her. You know, I think it would be uh, fair to say, I I should add here too, though, that uh, Marissa, uh, the mom, will only go with Lori and Jeff to church on Christmas and Easter. Uh, But the girls 
they love going to church with Lori and Jeff. And they love the Bible stories that they're, uh, that they're learning. They love the Bible that they're memorizing. In fact, here's Bianca reading her Bible. It's fair to say that this girl would not be reading this Bible were it not for Lori going over and above in ways to show tangible love to their family. You know, we're in this uh, teaching series right now called The Pearl. Uh, and it's all about uh, showing the love of Jesus to other people. In fact, many of us have the pearls that Jeff gave us on the first week of the series. This is the last week of the series. Have you been carrying this in your pocket? Uh, on the second week of the series, we had these in some dishes as you entered the worship center. I saw a middle schooler reach in and grab a handful. I think he thought they were mints. And um, <clears throat> so, surprise for him. I've gotten choked up in church before, but I think maybe he had a different experience on another level. Um, so maybe you've got your pearl in your pocket. Maybe you've been praying for somebody. You know, this whole pearl thing is an acronym that Jeff developed uh, to explain relational evangelism. And relational evangelism is a phrase that has a lot of syllables in it, but it essentially means giving Jesus away. In fact, uh, let's look at a Bible verse here. This is the Apostle John. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. I love that translation, lavished. God has lavished his love on us, and now we receive that. We're transformed by that, and now we want to lavish his love onto other people by giving Jesus away. You know, many of us are people who have been uh, transformed by Christ, by his power, by his uh, purpose, by his position, and now we are jealous for others to have that same spiritual experience and that spiritual discovery. And so we're just simply giving Jesus away. Jesus made the case that the kingdom of God is vital, that it is worth everything. In fact, let's go back to the verse that kicked off this whole Pearl series and remind ourselves of Jesus' words. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything, and he bought it. Relational evangelism is about me caring enough for the people that are in my everyday life that I want them to know that there's a sale on at Jesus, the Galleria of Jewelry, and that they can get a, uh, a pearl that's worth more than their wildest dreams, and it will change their life. You know, to give Jesus away may cause us to have to go beyond our comfort zone, um, but it doesn't necessarily need to lead us to go do crazy or dogmatic things with strangers, but merely to love people and to lavish on people that are in our social sphere. So let's review a, uh, a basic way that you could do this relational evangelism, this pearl living in your life. I want to put back on the screen a slide that Jeff has shown us a couple times now. And as I'm doing this, I want to invite our ushers. They're going to come forward and give you a pearl takeaway card that you can keep in your life to help the themes of this series linger in your world. You can take this card as it's coming down your row and just hold on to it. Perhaps it could become a... Uh, a bookmark in your Bible, or you could put it on the, the vanity in your bathroom, or you could put it on the dashboard in your car, or guys, you could put it on the window ledge in the kitchen as you're doing sinks, uh, as you're there at the sink doing dishes after dinner. Um, ladies, can I get an amen for that? All right. 
let me walk you through this slide. Uh, Jeff has talked with us about this. Pray. Pray for them. Do you have somebody that you're specifically praying for? Eat. Eat with them. Invite somebody out for a meal at your home or somewhere else. Ask questions. Do more asking than, uh, do more listening than talking. Reveal your story. Just share from your heart your story about Jesus and how he's changed you. And then here we're talking this week about love them tangibly. Simply showing care in practical ways, just giving Jesus away. Now I should add that although love them tangibly is the last one in this series, in this sequence, it doesn't have to be the last thing that we do. Jeff would say that you could love people tangibly uh, at any point in time in the Pearl sequence, and I would say the same, that uh, it could perhaps even be the first thing that you do uh, in a Pearl type of a process. You know, I love the old adage. I know you know it. Here it is on the screen. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, that has survived the test of time as an old adage, not just because it's clever, but because it's true. And I like this phrase uh, also, love isn't love until you give it away. You know, uh, love can be a squishy concept, but at some point, it has to have some practicality to it. Uh, Love doesn't happen by intentions, but by proximity. If we want to give Jesus away, then there's got to be some showing up that happens at some point in that process. In fact, the Bible talks very frankly about us caring for people and how that care should uh, show up in our worldview and in our actions. Here, for example, are some verses from the, the epistle of James in the New Testament. Let's read these. James writes, some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. James goes on to say, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. These passages and others say that if we've got the the good news of Christ in us, that it should uh, outflow from us in some action. You know, it's just logical. If it's in our heads, if it's in our hearts, then it should also be in our hands and in our feet. You know, what's that old song that is sung? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's John chapter 8. And his faith in us puts a light in us. But also, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's Matthew chapter 5. And so when we have faith in him, his light should be shining from us out to those that are around us. His caring love shines as proof of our real faith. Excuse me, our caring love shines as proof of our real faith. Now, how am I doing at that? How are you doing at that? Man, I got a long ways to go. But Jesus, of course, exemplifies this perfectly. And so let's look at how he did this. How did Jesus love people tangibly? Well, for an example of that, let's look at the only miracle that shows up in all four of the gospel accounts besides the resurrection itself. Jesus miraculously feeds large crowds of spiritually seeking people. I think that that could qualify as an example of love them tangibly, would you? 
All right, so let's look at this. Jesus miraculously feeds a crowd of like 20,000 people. This is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many people is 20,000 people? Well, do you like soccer? Uh, Here is a picture of uh, Toyota Park. This is where the Chicago Fire play soccer. It's over by Midway Airport. Maybe you've been there before for a soccer match or for a... um, a concert or something else, this venue seats 20,000 people. So if you've been there, if you look at this picture and you see how many people are there, that's the size crowd that we're talking about. Picture a group of people that big getting miraculously fed all-you-can-eat fish tacos just, boom, right there in front of them. Now, how do I know that it was fish tacos? Well, maybe you remember the story about how Jesus took a boy's sack lunch and uh, converted it into this miracle experience for everybody. And when you picture that in your head, <clears throat> you might be picturing this. Um, but that's actually not what it was like. In fact, I'd love for you to look at this picture instead. This is a picture of a uh, tanur. It's an earthen uh, ancient Middle Eastern oven. Now, this particular tanur was made a couple years ago by a, uh, a group of archaeologist nerds in their backyard in a kibbutz in Israel. But you roll up the dough, and then you flatten it out, and then you slap it up on the inside of this earthen oven, and it cooks there, and you end up with these little pitas. Now picture putting some, some fish bits down the middle of that, and there you go, you got your fish taco. So, or at least maybe a fish tostada. So Matthew and Mark record that on a separate occasion, after Jesus feeds this crowd of 20,000 people, he does it again at a second miraculous feeding event, this time with a group of maybe 15,000 people. And what can we say? Jesus likes Taco Tuesday, I guess. To find the narrative of this second feeding, you can go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 15. In fact, I'd invite you to go there now or pull out your Bible app, or you could use the, the Bible that we have complimentary in a seat back near you. If you do use that Bible, it's on page 982. And if you are using that Bible and you don't have a Bible of your own, you're welcome to boost that one from us. So yes, I am endorsing stealing from our church. So in your Bible, when you get there, you'll notice that it says, uh, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Is probably what the header says. That's not the actual Bible text. Um, but you'll, when you get in the passage, you realize that it talks about 4,000 men being there in the audience that day. So if you add in the women and the children, I think it's safe to picture a group of 15,000 or more people. But then again, you know, 87% of pastors make up statistics on the fly. So, you know, who am I to say? I'm just kind of spitballing here. But let's pick up the uh, passage where in uh, Matthew 15, uh, verse 29 starts out this way. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a hillside and he sat down and great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seen, and they praised God. So basically what we see here is he's off the grid and Jesus is leading this huge 15,000 person, three day long healing worship service. 
and uh, people are just streaming in from all directions, and Jesus is healing person after person. It's like the original big tent revival, except without the tent. Uh, This is not uh, a planned event. There's no flyers. There's no commercial. There's no social media presence. It's just word of mouth. And uh, I like what uh, Christian musician Toby Mack says. He says, when love is in the house, the house is packed. And so we see here Jesus is just loving on the people, and the hillside is packed. In fact, here is a, a photo of the coastline of the Sea of Galilee in a spot similar to the one that we're talking about, so you can get an image in your mind of what it would have been like. Just the sun, the water, the uh, sloping, rolling hills, just a typical-looking place, not the sort of place where you'd expect life transformation to be happening for thousands of people. But then again, isn't that how God works? You know, the, the mundane and the masterful just kind of mingled together. You know, once I was at the Sea of Galilee and I was on a coastline stretch kind of like this one, and uh, down the coast from me was a town. I was just sitting there. The sun was going down. I was trying to soak in the moment. I could see in the town there was a dock there, and on the dock there was a, a party barge, and it had kind of strung lights on it. There was a big sound system, a full bar. People were loading up onto it for an evening uh, floating discotheque. And as, people, as they were uh, casting off, I remember they were playing the Macarena. Do you remember that old uh, 90s dance move? You know, you got this and this. I'll, I'll stop there to save you. But not the image of the Sea of Galilee that you have in your head, is it, right? But you've got to understand that now and back then, people are just doing life. You know, I mean, some people were coming to these large crowds that Jesus was gathering because they were looking to have a profound experience with God through Jesus. But many people were just along for the ride. They're just along for the show. The Bible passage tells us that that people were there and they're like, oh, cool, a miracle and, and free fast food. You know, it was fun, but it was spiritually over their heads for many of these people. But Jesus' reflections about the people and his response to them were not shaped by the people's motives, but by his heart for them. And the same can be true for us. Our heart for the people can shape our response to the people that are in our world. Let's keep going in the passage and see what happens. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Jesus is showing care and concern for these people's practical needs. We'll come back to this in a moment, but let's continue with the passage and see what happens next. He goes on and says, His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Well, seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And Jesus gets creative and he's brainstorming how he could meet these people's practical needs. And he has everybody sit down on the ground and then he miraculously supplies their needs with a a supernaturally, exponentially multiplying meal of pita bread and fish He's just loving on them tangibly, perfectly in line with our PEARL acronym. Now, you and I may not be able to miraculously supply 15,000 people with an early dinner. But what we can do 
is we can uh, look at the pattern that Jesus sets up and recognize and follow Jesus' role modeling in the lead up to this miracle and take some thoughts from it for how we could love people tangibly. And so let's do that. Let's rewind the tape on the passage here a little bit and pluck out three ways that we could love people tangibly. Let's start with this. Jesus, and I've got it highlighted here. Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. I have compassion for these people. This word compassion is the same word, splagnizomai, that Jeff shared a couple weeks back in his sermon. It means gut level, to have a genuine care and concern for those in your world, your, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members. You know, I remember a, a particular splagnizomai moment in my life. Uh, my oldest son, Judah, and I, we go to... Um, breakfast on Wednesday mornings, and we've been going and talking about faith things. I was recently telling him the story about how I was driving down the street one day when I was 19, and I was thinking about my friend Jim. And uh, Jim and I went to high school together. We played water polo together. And I was thinking about how Jim uh, didn't know Jesus, which led me to start praying for Jim as I was driving that, that he would know Jesus. And all of a sudden, I found myself crying. Now, some leaders uh, lead from the verge of tears. Uh, I'm not one of them. You know, I'm, it's not that I don't care. I'm, I'm crying on the inside. Uh, perhaps you can relate. Uh, but on this particular day, I found myself crying on the outside. And it was the first time that I remember crying because somebody didn't know Jesus. I was having a, a spiritual splagnizomai moment for the first time. And I'm wondering, have you had a splagnizomai moment? I'm not asking like, do you cry in general? Or uh, do you get emotional when a Hallmark movie comes on TV? Or uh, a commercial for This Is Us on NBC? Or something like that. Have you had a splagnizomai moment around the gospel? Around spiritual life transformation? Heaven and hell. Have you had a gut-level moment for people? It's the, it's the beginning of wanting to give Jesus away. So Jesus cared, and his care caused him to picture himself in those people's situations. He showed concern. Let's uh, go on in the passage here. He was caring. He was concerned. He's imagining the situation these people are in, and he says, they might collapse on the way home. We see in the, in the passage that he's thinking through what would happen to them if he didn't act on his splagnizomai. He's processing. They might collapse. He's mindful of the challenges that they face. You know, two months back, my, uh, Laura, uh, Laura, my wife, found out that um, our neighbors two doors down, uh, all five of them had influenza at the same time. They were just wrecked at home. And so she made uh, a meal for them with uh, chicken noodle soup and everything that you would put with that and took it over to them. And, you know, we don't know them really well, but she just wanted them to know that somebody cared and that someone was willing to act on that care. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's caring, he's concerned, he wants to do something about it. So be caring, be concerned, and then let me add this. Be creative. Let's go on in the passage. Uh, Jesus says, uh, hey, guys, um, how many loaves do we have to work with? 
uh, Jesus is thinking through ways that he could practically help them. He's moved with compassion and he starts brainstorming with his friends. Guys, what do we have to work with here? What resources could we deploy to help these people tangibly? Let me ask you this. What do you have to work with? What resources do you have to deploy to help people tangibly, to give Jesus away? Be creative. You have more than you think. What do you have to work with? It could be something that you own. It could be uh, money. It could be a specialized knowledge that you have. It could be a friendship network. It could be time. You know, I saw my new neighbor, uh, Natalia, across the street uh, shoveling snow, eight months pregnant. And uh, I saw an opportunity to be a blessing. I jumped into my snow clothes. Her husband was away on business and uh, went over there and offered to shovel for her. She didn't want that, so we ended up shoveling together. So as we're talking, I asked her questions about her husband's job, and then she started asking me questions about my job, and then she started asking me questions about our church, and uh, they moved here from uh, Switzerland a couple years ago. And then she started asking me questions about our religion. And at this point, I, I stopped short of sharing the gospel in like a full way. I sensed that maybe that would be too much in the moment. Sometimes it's good to pace these things. But we just had a wonderful conversation about the things that matter most in life. You know, that in the passage here, Jesus and his friends had uh, pita bread and fish as their starting point. Uh, that day, I had a snow shovel as my starting point. But what do you have that you could deploy even this week to love people tangibly in the name of Jesus? You know, as we're working through these themes, I do want to just offer two quick counterbalance thoughts uh, to clarify briefly. First, <clears throat> this Pearl series, we're not advocating that you approach total strangers. Now, you can approach total strangers. That's fine. In fact, Jesus himself told a story about the Good Samaritan who helps a total stranger. But what we're really talking about is having an eyes and a heart open to see the people that are perhaps already in your social sphere. You know, it was maybe two, three months back, I was at a Subway sandwich, and there was a young couple that got in a line behind me, and uh, I ended up paying for their meal. And then as I left, I said, God bless you. Um, But just to be clear, it was fun, but that's not Pearl. Uh, That's not relational evangelism. There There was no pray, eat, ask, or reveal involved in that. You know, and maybe you should talk to that random person that you run into in the aisle at TJ Maxx or whatever. But more likely, there's that person that works like six cubicles down from you you know, the one that you walk past on the way to the bathroom all the time, and you know their name, but you haven't gotten to know them much. And that's probably the person that God wants you to go out of your way to get to know more, to show tangible love to. The second thing to mention is just that uh, love them tangibly is not Christian code for pay it forward. You know, pay it forward is a concept where you feel obligated to do a random act of kindness for somebody because somebody did a random act of kindness for you. You know, when Jesus uh, died on the cross for us, that was not a random act of kindness, uh, nor was it an act of social obligation. Jesus was uh, obediently doing the will of the Father in a premeditated lifestyle of grace. 
And now similarly, our response to Jesus' cross, giving Jesus away, is also a prayerful, premeditated lifestyle of grace. The Apostle Paul, he says, work out your salvation. And so if we're doing uh, pearl living, it's not random. It's highly intentional. It's us exercising our faith and working this stuff out. Well, these uh, spiritual practices and uh, being a practical expression of Jesus can lead to some really cool conversations. And that's actually what happens for Jesus. After that larger feeding, the 20,000 person one, the next day, a group of people that were there at the feeding seek Jesus out and he has a long spiritual conversation with them. It's in John chapter six, if you wanna flip over there in your Bible or go there in your Bible app. It's such a long conversation, it takes up pretty much the whole chapter, but we're not gonna go through the whole things. I do wanna grab a couple sound bites from it though that I think could inform us around what some good spiritual conversations could be for us if our showing people love in tangible ways were to lead to spiritual conversations. So let's start with this. Uh, In John chapter 6, Jesus says, Don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life. You know, these people had sought Jesus out at a different place the next day because they had received practical care from him. And they were coming back for another round of practical care. But Jesus instead leverages the moment uh, as a way to say, hey, let's talk about broader, bigger themes. And Jesus says, essentially, um, I could feed you another meal easily enough. But what you're really looking for is some soul food, some spiritual nourishment. I want to talk with you about that. I want to talk with you about a deeper need. Uh, our office manager here at the Hobson campus, her name is Diane. Back in November, she was setting up a party for us. And the party was at a local hotel. And through planning the event, she got into a working relationship with the events manager at the hotel. Uh, the manager cut us a great deal. And so after the holidays, Diane reached back out to her and said, hey, could I um, take you out to lunch as a thank you? And so the two ladies went out to lunch. And uh, they ended up in a, a fast-moving conversation. And the, the events manager started sharing about some deep hurts that were in her life. And she was just glad to have like a trustworthy confidant that was a good listener. And now they've gotten together since then. And the events manager, uh, I'm told, is planning on coming here now uh, for one of the worship services. So to be continued on that, we'll see where that goes. But just um, to uh, be willing to talk with people about a deeper need. Let's see what also happens here in the passage. Jesus gets into this conversation with them and they bring up religion to him. They start talking with him about Moses and they start quoting the Bible to Jesus about how cool Moses is. And this might happen to you as you're in spiritual conversations with people where they would uh, bring up something religious. You know, the area that we live in here is not so much unchurched people as it is de-churched people. And let me explain. It's not that um, the people around us, many of them uh, have grown up with some sort of church background of some kind or have a fundamental belief that God is. Um, It's not that they uh, are are anti-God or something like that. But what people are missing is that they're not connecting that Jesus is a person that they can know that he's not just a mere historical figure and that the, the church is a place where you can explore relevant faith 
It's not an antiquated institution dominated by rules. And so when these people bring up religion to Jesus, how does he respond? Well, let's see what happens. He says this. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Let's say this. Jesus points them to a deeper truth. God, not Moses, was the true source of spiritual supply. Jesus points them to this deeper truth that what they're seeking was not found in religion, but in a vital relationship with God through Jesus. Uh, Our family lived in Iowa for seven years before returning here to Compass Church three years ago. And in the neighborhood we were in in Iowa, there was a community pool And just hanging out at the pool there, we got to know uh, another family, Nick and Sarah and their kids. Their daughter, uh, Addison, was in the same school class as my son, Judah. And come to find out that they had grown up uh, Catholic, but hadn't been to church in years. And they were kind of processing, "Hmm, I wonder if we should, you know, get back going to church or something. And so I still remember the day that Judah and I rode our bikes uh, over to their house, kind of of our own initiation, uh, initiative, I should say, and we um, uh, went over there to give them a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's one of the best kids' Bibles I've ever seen, and uh, I sensed that their kids would like the Bible. I also knew that Nick and Sarah would have to read their kids the Bible. You see there, uh, working. So we went over to drop the Bible off, and um, half of me was just hoping that they wouldn't be home. You know that feeling, a little bit. And it turned out they weren't home, so it was cool. I I just wrote a little note. I left it with the Bible on the doorstep. Wasn't sure what was going to come of that. Well, fast forward two months later, they show up at our church. And now fast forward four years later, they're still at that church. And their whole family is growing spiritually there at that church. Praise God. You know, they uh, came thinking that they needed church. And they really found Jesus. They came thinking that they needed religion, but they found a deeper truth, a relationship with their creator, Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible goes on and talks uh, more about this spiritual conversation. Jesus kind of culminates all that he's saying to these people with these words. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. It's at this point that Jesus gets really focused. And he says, hey, look, you like the food that I gave you. And you like the security blanket that your religion is for you. But getting your tangible needs met and having a cozy church experience are not going to meet your inner yearnings. He says, you got a round hole in the center of your life. And we could stand here and talk all day about the square pegs that you're trying to plug into that round hole. But there is only one round peg that's designed for that round hole, and that's me. Jesus calls them to a deeper faith, a uh, a real faith in him. Uh, My wife, Laura, had a coworker named Ginny, and... Uh, after a year of working together and just kind of being around the office together and water cooler moments together and going out to lunch together, uh, Jenny asked Laura about her faith. 
And Jeannie told Laura that she was asking about her faith because of Laura's just steady style. Uh, Laura wasn't like pouncing on Jenny. Uh, Laura's uh, easy listening skills were her expression of tangible love to Jenny. And so Laura told Jenny about her relationship with Jesus and how Jesus had met her spiritual hunger. And then a couple weeks later, uh, Jenny came back from a weekend and said that over the weekend she had been watching a rerun of an old Billy Graham crusade on TV and that right there in front of her TV set, she had knelt down and asked Jesus to be the leader of her life. And now Jenny has rubbed off on her husband, Graham, and he's grown in his faith through the years that we've known them. Uh, Jenny and Laura are still close. And the interesting thing about Graham is that he is a professional caddy on the PGA Tour and on the senior PGA Tour. And so for his work, he travels around the world uh, with the best golfers in the world. And he shares his faith with some of the best golfers in the world. Uh, in fact, I've got a picture here of Graham. And you can draw a straight line from the conversations that he's having on the golf green to the conversation that my wife had with his wife at a water cooler in Naperville, Illinois. How cool is that? Well, this has been uh, a fun teaching series with uh, the pearl. I hope that you are continuing to pray for for people in your world. You know, uh, one last story that I think just sums up so nicely all that this series is about. I was talking with a couple here at the Hobson campus. Uh, Their names are uh, Dale and Betsy. And they were telling me about a while back, they had their next door neighbors over for dinner. And the conversation went from hot yoga to faith. And as they were talking, uh, they said, hey, we'll make you a deal. Uh, We'll go to your hot yoga class if you come to our church. And so they did, and then they did. And now their neighbors, Will and Wendy, still come to this church 10 years later and are still growing in faith as a result of it. Guys, uh, pray with them. Eat with them. Ask them questions. Reveal your story. Love them tangibly. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray. And Jesus, we pray to you. You have the words of life, and you're the one that said, abide in me. You said, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing that will have eternal significance. And so, Lord, we want to stay close to you. We want you to rub off on us. We want our lifestyle to be changed by your lifestyle. We pray that we would more and more have your eyes and your heart for people who could absorb your love. We pray that you would lead us to love people tangibly and to do it all for the glory of your name the high and exalted name of Jesus the Christ, the one and only. And it's to you that we pray. Amen.